Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Michelle Lepp, a cancer survivor, mother, and a fitness professional. A few months into her new marriage, she was faced with the diagnosis of lymphoma, news that dramatically changed every aspect of her life. With wisdom and grit that belies her age, she recounts how she took this challenge undeterred by everything she faced, instead drawing upon her strength to survive the illness, but more importantly, to find a deeper purpose to life itself. Please welcome Michelle Lepp. Let me rap, 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 rap that vision. It's a different map. Whipping down the less pave, singing. Welcome, Michelle, to Phoenix Tales. I start the conversation off by asking one question, and the question I ask is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life? In 2015, I was diagnosed with lymphoma, and I was working in the fashion industry, and I knew I wasn't totally satisfied with what I was doing in my life, but that was my wake-up call. And how old were you when you got this diagnosis? 28. And had there been any family history of of cancer or lymphoma, or was this just out of the blue? Out of the blue. So after you got the diagnosis, I can imagine the shock, right? Whenever anybody hears the big C word, it's a moment of as if you're falling off a cliff. What were your first initial reactions to getting this diagnosis at such a young age? I didn't know that's what was happening at the time. I knew I didn't feel great, and I had just gone back from a two-week honeymoon, so I didn't want to take any time off, and my boss happened to call out, so I was like, I guess I could go to the doctor today, and went to the doctor, and that doctor immediately was like, let's go get an ultrasound, let's check out what's going on, and then he called me back an hour later and was like, I need you to go see this guy right now, the high holidays are next week, so he's not going to be in office, can you go right this minute? And I was like, okay. Walked myself over by myself because I had no idea where I was going to NYU, sit down in this guy's office and had no idea I was in an oncology office. I just was in an office in NYU. So I was like, okay, pause. Don't talk to me about anything else for one second. Let me call my husband and get him in this room. So he ran over and then we kind of were like, so what, ha- what, what now? He's like, no, you need chemo. And I was like, no, it's a lump in my neck. We just cut it out. And he was like, nope, you're going through the whole whole process. So then I called that other doctor back after I left and I was like, I don't understand. How does he know? All you, all you have is an ultrasound to go off of. And he was like, don't worry, take the weekend, like process information, you know, a hammer sees a nail, maybe it's not as bad as what he's suggesting and we'll do all the correct diagnostic testing. And from there we continued to do the testing and it turned out to be a rare form of lymphoma, ALCL. And it's only 3% of the lymphomas. And lucky enough for me, Memorial Sloan Kettering was doing a study on ALCL lymphoma. And I called them and I was like, hey, I just got this diagnosis. I'd like a second opinion. And they were like, perfect. We need someone for a study. Can you come in today? And that was that. 
So how long were you in chemo? It was just over four months. Okay. And did you have any of the usual side effects of the chemo? Um, I lost my hair. Um, I had a lot of weight gain, which still to this day, I struggle with hormonally getting that back in balance. Nausea, fatigue, um, a lot of bone pain. Um, Not all of them. But when you're in a study, it's a little scarier than just you're going to go through chemo because they have to list every side effect that could possibly happen. And even though four of the drugs that I'm on are the regular chemo drugs, and then one of them was a blind study drug, um, they have to list all of them. So even though there was no choice, I was going through all of them, no matter what, they had to give me the side effect list of everything. So you had to read through like all 87 million things that could possibly go wrong in your body. I think I was lucky. I think I was already very healthy in the way I ate and the way I participated in fitness. Um, And I think that probably helped me a lot. Can we go back to your reference to the weight gain? So most people have this kind of perception that when people are in chemo, they lose a ton of weight, right? Yeah. That they get very sick and they can barely eat food. So was the weight gain a result of the chemo or more a result of the type of cancer you had? I'm not 100% sure one way or the other. I want to say it was probably a result of the chemo and the way my body reacted to it. There were some days where I could eat and some days where I couldn't eat. So I think it was hormonally a reaction for me. And then like a lot of other cancer patients of a certain age, were you at all concerned about possible fertility issues after the chemo? Definitely. And that was a conversation. I literally had just gone back from my honeymoon. So we had talked about doing an IVF treatment, a round of IVF prior to starting chemo. So one thing Memorial Sloan is phenomenal about is they've got a department and a person dedicated to you in every aspect that you could think of. So immediately that afternoon, someone's calling me saying, okay, I made you an appointment at Cornell and your appointments at this time, and you're going to go in, and this is going to be the process, and it's very expensive, but Live Strong and this organization and this organization all provide um, provide money for you to be able to help you pay for it since you're going through it for chemo, and you're going to be there tomorrow. Go. And then I had two weeks to go through the process of just the egg retrieval, um, and we used prednisone to keep the lymphoma at bay. Um, because my neck was starting to just blow up with lymph nodes everywhere to the point I couldn't really move my neck. So we used prednisone to kind of keep it at bay as best as we could as I went through two weeks of getting eggs. So you mentioned that you had just come back from your honeymoon and then you got this kind of life-shifting diagnosis and outcome. How did that affect your marriage Did it help strengthen the bond that you guys felt like you were in a battle together or did it create some amount of tension? I think definitely together. It was hard, I think, in my brain and me being who I am and being a nurturer. All I could think about was my husband's mother passed away from cancer a couple years prior. And so all I kept thinking is like, oh my God, his mom just passed away a couple years ago and now his wife of two weeks has cancer. How is this going to affect him? So Me being me, that's where my brain went. He didn't really want to see anyone for it. I was going to therapy. I think if anything, it made it stronger because we had to figure out how to work together to get through that. I mean, even still to this day, I still have side effects that we 
work through together. Like um, really bad heartburn and acid reflux never went away. I've had it since 2015. So let's go back to you've got this diagnosis and you're running around, you know, obviously harvesting your eggs for the future, about to undergo chemo. Did you then decide, stop with my normal life? This is my focus now. Or did you try to work and try to do everything like sometimes people will do just as a way to survive emotionally? (laughs) I wanted to do everything. (laughs) I was able to work it out. I asked that question because I know you. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I had to do everything, and I, I think it helped me a lot because it gave me something else to focus on to continue to work. I also had really good health insurance, which is very unfortunate. That was part of the thought process, but I had zero deductible at the time. I had a hundred percent covered. So, really, the only things that I had to pay for out of pocket were the things that. So it just seemed like the right thing to do. We worked out a schedule. When I felt well, I came in and the two days after chemo, um, my chemo was around Thursday. So Thursday and Friday, I wouldn't come in and I would work from home if I felt able to. And they were pretty good about if I needed a day off, they gave me the day off without question. But I definitely stayed working, knowing that I planned to leave afterwards, but it gave me something to focus on that wasn't my illness. Right. So then after the four, I think you said four months that you were in chemo, how did your life look? You know, I have a friend who's undergoing chemo and she's about five years in with a very um, aggressive cancer. And I have accompanied her to Sloan. So I'm well-versed at how well that institution is run and what it is to be with someone when they're going through something like that. What did your the landscape of your life look like after the treatments? I knew I wanted to get into health and wellness. So I started researching what I wanted to do first and how I wanted to do it. And then once I came up with a game plan, I walked into my boss's office and I said, I'm done. Thank you for letting me work here while I was sick, but I need to do something else with my life. Um, and I went into a one-month-long training to get uh, my 200-hour yoga certification. It's interesting that you jumped from being sick to jumping into the fitness industry. How was that transition? Because to me, although fitness industry falls under the umbrella of wellness, sometimes I feel as though the industry can create all kinds of other problems, right, for the people who are involved. So how did you make that shift and not have sort of what you were feeling about your body at that moment affect how you kind of went into the field? I did as much fitness as I could while I was going through treatment. I did um, a spin class a week and a yoga class a week. And even on the worst days, if all I could do was sit and pedal or lay in Shavasana, that's what I did. And at that time, I, I was able to just walk away from body image. I don't know how I managed that. I think I was just so determined at that point in time to move on that I ignored the body image issues, which I think is what you're alluding to and watched how strong I was. Um, You know, I was able to get through a whole month yoga training, which is very tiring um, to show up every single day. And there's some version of a yoga class every single day, 
multiple times throughout the day. And the fact that I was able to physically do that made me be able to kind of separate from some of the other issues that are in the industry. So I've interviewed other people who've um, sort of overcome, you know, dire cancer diagnosis and treatments. Was there kind of a delayed effect of you coming to terms with the fact that maybe this could have gone differently for you, that you could have ended up being very sick and possibly dying. And that realization coming at a later point where you have sort of like an emotional reckoning with yourself and understanding the full weight and scope of what you went through. Not exactly in the way you're saying, but in that month training, one of the teachers who came to teach um, was doing a guided meditation with us. And Within this guided meditation, it just dawned on me that this all happened to me because I'm supposed to help people who are going through what I'm going through. I wanted to become a yoga therapist and not just a 200-hour yoga teacher. And I wanted to be able to work in the field of oncology. So she runs a program that trains yoga therapists. And in her first training, one of those teachers was made this comment that you are not your disease. And something about that moment was just like the light shining on me. Like, wait a minute, I am no longer a cancer patient. I can walk away from this and made me be able to look back and acknowledge the experience and acknowledge, yes, there was definitely a chance of a different outcome. Um, They say two years is like the real window where a reoccurrence could happen. So I'm still within that, but I am not my lymphoma and I can grow and do something with that experience. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. And do, was there sort of kind of an emotional reckoning? I mean, I, I understand that you sort of got it intellectually, but was there a moment where you just emotionally felt the full scope of that? This particular like type of lymphoma is very curable. We have a very high success rate. We feel very confident you're going to be okay. Even with reoccurrences, there's still a very high success rate of being healthy. So I, they did a very good job at keeping me feeling safe the whole time. So I don't know if in that moment it ever felt like the end. Sometimes when I just really, really was feeling sick, it was very hard to imagine being on the other side of it. But I think my doctors really did a good job at helping me. So you talk about in those moments where you're very sick and not sure that you could see the other side. What kept you from falling into the complete abyss of just feeling utterly hopeless? Probably my family and just having people, a support system. My parents are both in a different state. Um, so they switched off flying up to be part, be there for the treatment and then to stay for a couple of days afterwards. We stayed at my father-in-law's house because we were living in Manhattan at the time. And I didn't feel like that was the healthiest place to heal. So we would go out to Westchester and we had him, my husband, who was incredibly supportive the whole time. And so I always had a whole gaggle of people come with me to chemo. I had like four or five people and we would play games and just make fun and enjoy, try our best to enjoy what was happening. That's lovely. And so after all of this and you decide to do this 200-hour teacher training and become a yoga instructor, and then at some point realizing that what you really 
were drawn to was using your own experience to help others who might be facing similar challenges. At what point in the journey are you at now? You know, like, where are you with all of that? I completed my yoga therapy certification, which is approximately a two-year program last October. It took me a little bit longer because I decided to have a baby in the middle. COVID definitely put a little bit of a damper on what I feel safe doing, um, especially with a toddler. And I'm actually 34 weeks pregnant, but I have a handful of clients that I still work with on Zoom. Um, some of them I haven't even met. They had heard about me and they connected with me during COVID. And I work with all kinds of clients that have all kinds of health issues from, I've worked with oncology patients. I've worked with people with cardiac issues. I have some clients now with a lot of um, skeletal issues. And I use my yoga therapy to help people. And I'd like to think I'm helping them. And then more importantly, I know that you have you have a son and you're now pregnant with your second child. Was there ever a moment where you were sort of fearful of starting a family, even though you were in the clear cancer-wise? I think for a lot of cancer patients, there's always some amount of fear in the back of their head, right? A hundred percent. So was there fear on your part? And then more importantly, how did you overcome that fear to take that leap to start a family? That's a good question. And I don't know if I'm totally there, to be perfectly honest. There was a lot of fear if I was going to be able to do it. We were able to naturally with both. I guess there's a second layer to the story. After having my son, I ended up with um, Graves' disease and Hashimoto's which are ironically two completely opposite of the spectrum uh, thyroid diseases. One means you're super hyper and one means you're hypo. So one means your thyroid's overactive and one means it's not working at all. And my body was swinging between them. That diagnosis was almost harder to process um, just because an autoimmune disorder is lifelong. And it kind of feels like, how am I ever going to get to the other side of this when it's lifelong? during this pregnancy had moments of what if I'm not here forever for the two of them? Um, because I have multiple health issues and I've always had all these health issues. Um, and early on into this pregnancy, I did start seeing a uh, prenatal special therapist because I was like, you know what? I need help processing through disease and children. And it's something I think I probably will have to work on for probably the rest of my life. So can you go back to the the Hashimoto and Graves and you said that your body it's basically hormonal and it's an autoimmune response Correct. right and it's based on inflammation that you know causes it so what are the two side effects of like uh, Hashimoto and Graves I know that one you said was creates this hypothyroid the other one is hyperthyroid so what are the two fluctuations in the ways in which your body responds to them so hypo, your body usually starts to gain weight and slow down um, when you're not producing enough of the hormone from your thyroid. Your metabolism slows down early postpartum is when my Hashimoto's was probably in a flare. It took us a while to figure out there was something going on because I wasn't having the normal like, oh, I'm breastfeeding and losing weight. You feel very sluggish um, and tired all the time. And it was a clear defined moment for me when I think the graves kicked in because my heart rate would be 200 just from walking, which for those that don't know, women's heart rate should be in like 60 to 65 range, just resting. So it shouldn't be higher than like maybe 80 walking. 
and my muscles would do weird things. And how are you managing the fluctuation between the two? I mean, I ha- I know people who have Hashimoto's or Graves, right? Mm-hmm. But to have both, how are you managing that both illnesses? I actually chose to have my thyroid removed last year. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I, after many months and many issues, um, I actually got thyroid eye disease from the Graves disease. So if you think about this, people with the bulging eyes, that's a very bad case of it. After a lot of discussion with my endocrinologist, and then I actually talked to my oncologist about it, and he connected me with a couple of the endocrinologists at Memorial Sloan who I talked to. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life swinging between the two of them and trying to manage it. And pregnancy could have caused a whole other slew of going through health issues afterwards. And I kind of just looked at my endocrinologist and said, you know, at the end of the day, am I going to be taking a pill of some sort, whether it's for the Graves disease or Hashimoto's for the rest of my life? And she's like, yes. And I was like, okay, then I'd rather, I'd rather just take my thyroid out and take the Synthroid which is what you would take for Hashimoto's. And Synthroid is just a synthetic hormone. It's not a medication, whereas Graves' disease, you have to take a medication. So I felt more comfortable accepting that I was going to be on Synthroid for the rest of my life than having to juggle the two of them. And have you found any changes with the thyroid removal? That's a kind of hard question to answer because I got pregnant only four months after it came out. Ah, okay. I don't know yet. (laughs) We spent the first four months trying to figure out what the right dosing was for my body, what my body was producing on its own. So I felt a little off those four months. And then once we had a full month of me being like level and numbers not moving, she gave me the clearance to start trying to get pregnant. So I never really got to experience that yet. So ask me again in like a year after. Right. You might have to come back. Right. You might have to come back in a year's time and update us. Right. Um, So I want to go back to you. You said two things that I think really resonated with me. One, coming to terms with the fact that you were going to have to manage a chronic illness for the rest of your life. And then more importantly, during your yoga therapeutics training that you were told you are not your disease, right? You are not your illness. And I, as somebody who also suffers from a chronic illness, I understand all of that intellectually, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It's not so easy to translate. Right. But sometimes on an emotional level, it's really hard to acknowledge that I am not my illness, that the illness doesn't in some way define me and, and define aspects of my life. So how are you sort of navigating, juggling those two paradigms, And if you want to say, right? There's the intellectual understanding of like, yes, the cancer and the, the thyroid issues are not me, but then there's the emotional reality, right? The emotional reality of how do you not buy into, on some level, a sense of, and I hate to use the word, but a sense of failure almost, right? That as strong as we are and as, as, as driven and as accomplished as we are, we can't somehow beat the illness. Some days I can't. Some days it's go and sit and maybe meditate or take a walk or do a spin class or something just to release the emotion because sometimes it's just there and I 
feel it and that's totally okay. Something I keep working through with my three-year-old is it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel your emotions. There's no reason to not feel them. It's what you do with the emotions afterwards. And so I try to harness it into what I teach in my classes and utilize it and read about it um, and understand it intellectually so that I can put it into practice in what I'm teaching as a wellness professional. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think we all try to take our experience and um, as yoga therapists, it helps shape how we work with our clients. But you said something that's really interesting. So after you have that moment of self-pity or, you know, just frustration, how do you then pivot? Like, I'm just curious out of my own curiosity. Yeah. Like, what do you do to to turn that page, so to speak, right? I, I harness it into an energy release to get out of it. So usually I'll pick some ridiculous spin class, like a Britney Spears ride or a, a Wicked ride or something where I'm just going to sing and like physically actually release the emotion out of my body. Usually, not always, but usually I feel better after that. And I'm able to then kind of sit and process and say, okay, I felt this way. What triggered that today? What what about today was making me feel bad? And then I'll say, okay, today's just a day and that's okay. And we're allowed to have them. And everyone has them. Everyone's experiencing it in some way or another, whether it, or not it's an autoimmune disorder or cancer, or they I don't know, are going through a breakup with someone or they're having some sort of emotion. So how can I utilize that to get through the rest of the day? And depending on who I'm seeing that day, client-wise, maybe something that I felt that morning I can use to relate to them um, and use my experience and help them overcome what they're feeling. And sometimes my helping someone else really helps me overcome what I'm feeling. Well, actually, what it sounds like is that you're actually nurturing of yourself, right? That um, more than anything else. Um, That's lovely. If you could offer one advice for someone facing a really difficult physical challenge or health challenge, what advice would you offer them? If you could say one thing, right, if after whatever diagnosis the person receives, if you could say one thing, what would that one thing be? Probably find something in your life that makes you feel like, quote, unquote, you or normal and find a way to continue to incorporate that into your daily, weekly, monthly, whatever routine so that you don't lose yourself. And what was that for you? Exercise. Ah, that's a great place to end. So we're going to, I always ask one last question and I know everybody's been listening to the podcast, so they've been preparing. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm switching it up. If you could go back in time or into the future and sit with one person, who would that one person be and why? <laughs> this could be a weird answer, but if you listen to the whole thing, then it makes sense. Probably Adina Menzel, just because everything she does makes me so happy. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> like every, every show she's ever done, every movie, for people who don't know, she was really famous way before Frozen. <laughs> she was in Rent, she was in Wicked, and all of her performances have always made me happy. So maybe just sitting with her 
That's awesome. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer to that. You know that. So <laughs> yes. I love it. Thank you, Michelle, for doing this with us or with me. How can people reach you if they wanted to find out more about your yoga therapy practice or if they want to ask you questions about perhaps their own health crises or crisis? Yeah, of course. Um, well, thank you for having me, first of all. And you can um, reach me through my website, which is Michelle with two L's, laurenmovement.com. Or you can email me and it's, sorry, a long email, but Michelle at michellelaurenmovement.com. Great. And you're obviously on social media, right? I am. I'm not great at using it, but Michelle Lauren Movement as well for social media. Great. Wonderful. It's mostly just pictures of my son. But <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's even, that's, that's awesome. That's even better. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune into our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. And I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.